0: This is part of the human condition. The closer we get, the more we're going to hurt each other. But through any arguing style, you just find a way through that so the friction is a lot less and that you're able to accept the other person where they are, how they are, and still be in harmony with them.
1: Welcome to the Abundant Couples Podcast.
0: We are your hosts, Cassidy
1: and Matt. And we're here to help you, awesome growth-minded human, create the most flourishing relationship that you know is possible. In this podcast, we'll dive deep
0: into topics of relationship, intimacy, and lifestyle freedom.
1: We believe that a great relationship is fuel for everything else in your life.
0: So let's jump in and get fueled up.
1: Today on the show, we have a conversation with Dr. Christian Haim, and I had so much fun interviewing him. I mean, when a conversation involves psychotherapy, love, and ancient Greece, I'm in my happy place. Dr. Haim is an award winning psychiatrist, music professor, and Churchill Fellow. During his 20 years as a doctor and 13 as a psychiatrist, he has heard the stories of thousands of people. He gets a lot of joy out of working as a consultant psychiatrist in psychotherapy. His latest book, The Seven Types of Love, Navigating Love in a Fractured World, has just been released. He lives in Australia on the beautiful Sunshine Coast with his wife, Caroline, and loves taking long walks on deserted Australian beaches and eating celery. Oh yeah. So in this episode, we covered the seven love types, which is the topic of Dr. Heim's new book. What are the seven love types? How can it benefit us to become familiar with them? How to become a love connoisseur? Uh, we talked about how to argue. What argument looks like in a relationship? What's healthy argument? How do we find harmony through our argument. We talked about self-love and how it relates to our relationships. We also got to a point of talking about our childhood programming and how that shows up in relationship and about how we can really be on the same team and how our relationship can be this container of growth. It was such a pleasure talking with Dr. Haim, and I hope you'll go get his book. Let's get right into the conversation. Welcome to the show, Dr. Haim. I'm so excited to have you here.
0: Thank you very much, Cassidy. It's my privilege to be here.
1: Amazing. So I have been watching some of your videos and... Learning more about the seven love types, which is what I understand is the topic of your new book
0: Yeah, yeah, so uh, it's a different way of looking at love. We live in a very scientific age And so yes, there is a chapter uh, Basically distilling the science on love because that seems to be what we're interested in but science always puts love together with sex Uh, and we know, anybody who's been in a relationship, that it's so much more, that it's just so much more complex, it's uh, so much more enriching, and it's so much more encompassing. So I suppose what I did was I looked to ancient Greece for nuances of this word love, and so I found these seven words for love, and for couples, it's a good way of looking at a way of making sure that their whole relationship is rounded and more complete.
1: Mm, Amazing. And I love that you look to ancient Greek for your inspiration, because I I love all things ancient Greek. And I'm a big fan of learning from different uh, periods of wisdom and bringing that into our modern life. So that's, that's awesome. Love that! Oh
0: yeah, yeah. No, that's that. It's a lot of fun, and the thing is that we tend to think that we've got a very different lifestyle. But when you think about couples living together, um, uh, putting together families, having to work for a living, that sort of pattern has been part of uh, human nature and culture for millennia. So maybe we're not that different,
1: right? So true. So how do you, why do you think it's important to distinguish between different types of love? I know in like in English, we tend to just say, we use love for so many different things, right? And I was having a conversation uh, with a friend actually not too long ago, and we were talking about what is love and partway into the conversation, we realized, well, I think we're talking about different kinds of love. Yeah. So how do we mix these up? And why is it important to distinguish the different types?
0: Okay, so um, I'll put it in the context of couples because um, as a psychiatrist, uh, what I do a lot of is a couple's therapy when mental illness is part of the picture, okay? So as you know, keeping a relationship together is work enough as it is, but when there's mental illness involved, it just has that added burden. And unfortunately, people tend to see somebody like myself, a psychiatrist, um When things are going pretty badly all right okay and then people sort of go okay what can i do to save this relationship and they think love love i love this person so what i've got to do is have more sex more romance so people start dating again rather than seeing well you know what we've known each other for 15 years maybe our relationship is more than when we started dating and so i needed a way to articulate what was different about a relationship 15 years in to when you were first dating. Mm. And so, yes, you can go to the science where, okay, so uh, what science looks at is this lust attraction attachment pathway where you physically uh, feel a sexual desire for somebody, then you are um, attracted to one particular person and then you decide to commit to that one person. And that's a fine model that works. Uh, but in ancient Greece, they saw that as the pathway for an eros relationship, for an eros love relationship. So eros, obviously, we get the word erotic mm, from that. Right. And, and when people are in relationship, sex is part of it. In fact, it is the one love type where sex is uh, definitely part of that relationship. But there are all these other love types in our relationship. And the easiest example is the love that a parent has for a child. Now, that is a non-sexual love. It's still love. And we use the same word. But is there something different about that? And, yeah, obviously I say yes. And and through today, I'm sure we'll get through the seven somehow. Yeah. <laughs> but that, uh, that relationship between parent and child is one of storge. So what are uh, the ancient Greeks would have seen as belonging love. We belong together because we're part of the same family. Mm. So that's already a different kind of love than an eros relationship. However, when a couple have been together for 15 years, what they've actually done is build up storge belonging in their relationship.
1: Right. We're not together
0: just for the sex, just because we're attracted. We kind of belong together now. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's a different type of love yeah
1: yeah awesome so we have eros, the erotic yes. sexual love we have storge, yes. the belonging love
0: the why belonging don't love. you
1: walk us through the other five types
0: all right okay let's let's walk through the other five types um one thing that a lot of couples will talk about is developing the the friendship mm-hmm. in uh their relationship uh some couples get by being really good friends. For other people, it's, it's not that they, they find their friendship needs elsewhere. But we know that friendship is a different kind of a love. And if you have a good friend, you find that there's a lot of communication and a lot of affection there, but you're really engaging more at a mind level than in a heart level. So uh, this is what the Greeks called philia, philia mm-hmm. love. And uh, so that's, that's another one of the um, love types. Another one, uh, in fact, the one that I like starting off with is actually called epithumia, which mm. is one of those sort of words. Okay, haven't heard that one. What's epithumia? You know, well, in our society, we can sort of say, "Oh, I just love to play golf. I love hip hop music. You know, I love this celebrity. Uh, I love driving my car." And we sort of go, "Okay, is that love?" and yeah, of course it is, but it's a different kind of love. It's what I call a liking love. It's things that you enjoy that become a part of who you are. So, epithumia uh, in Greece is uh, in ancient Greece is this expression of something that you like. And for a couple, the more things that you can like together mm-hmm. and do together, so a lot of couples go hiking. A lot of couples cook together a lot of couples do different things that they like even just liking your favorite sitcom or uh online series together is a form of epithermia love and it's it's actually quite important because it's sharing that time together right Then me go to um a xenia love xenia. now uh xenia comes uh, has the same root word as xenophobia where uh which is a fear of um, people who are different, mm-hmm. so fear of people are from different cultures. But Xenia love is actually a love for the stranger, a love for people who are different. Mm-hmm. So there are some people in America that just love things that are Italian, right, uh, so, uh, or they love things that are French, so they're a Francophile, they like French things. But in a love relationship, we've got to love what is different about the other person okay right. and this is what brings in the idea of respect and it's not always easy to articulate what respect is in a culture uh, in a couple relationship but it's a time when you go well this person's really different to me all right uh in fact this is really foreign to me okay right. what am i going to do about it and so um Okay, so Xenia love, when we get together with strangers, we have a lot of rituals, all right? We drink uh, either an alcoholic drink together, a, a coffee or a tea together. We have a formal meeting place and we can talk about the drink or the little biscuits or cookies that we're giving each other. And what happens, it's a safe way of interacting with somebody that you don't know while you get to know them. Now, in a love relationship, the time when you know when you're living with somebody that is different to you is when you argue, right? right? yeah. And, okay, arguing is part of a relationship, mm-hmm. but it's actually an expression of love. And yeah. you see there are actually a lot of rituals around arguments, right? There are some people who when they come into conflict, they will go into different rooms and, you know, sort of not talk for a while. Or other people will go, okay, this is getting a bit heated here but they will allow each other space and time and respect to try to get to know the other person's point of view while there are a lot of emotions going on. All right. So that's another one. The, uh, that, the senior.
1: Yeah. I just want to say that makes sense. And I like the idea of loving the unknown in your partner in that oh, yeah. kind of the stranger love. Right. And it's like at first in a newer relationship, um, you know, you're discovering each other and you start off with all of the things you have in common, right? Oh, you like that too? I like that. Let's do that together. You know, talking about all these things you have in common. And then eventually you'll get through all of those things. (laughs) And as you get closer, spend more time together, know each other at a deeper level. That's when you start to learn these things that you're like, oh, I've never heard that perspective before, or oh, I've never done things that way. So I think keeping that fresh mind of like loving the new things discovering the f- things that are fresh, that are unknown in your partner, is an important yeah. thing for the long-term, right? Oh
0: yeah, and, and on top of it, these things are not easy, all right? right. So, yeah. so, so love doesn't always feel good, but love is always there.
1: Mm.
0: Uh, so, so you talked about when you start dating somebody for the first time. Well, there are a lot of rituals around dating, let's say just going out for a meal, making sure that the two of you can talk, or going to a movie so that you've got something to talk about, right? right? That's all getting to know the stranger. Uh, 15 years into a relationship, you get to know the stranger when they do something surprising to hurt you, all Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Or they want something very different in life than you do, all right? Uh, So a couple that's been together for 15 years, one says, you know, why don't we move to the country? I've just always wanted to have this house in the country surrounded by trees. And the other person goes, I don't want to go to the country. I like it here in the city. I like the arts and the culture, and so you've got to negotiate the stranger. And mm-hmm. uh, the first way of negotiating the stranger is to get to know the stranger. So you have these rituals to get to know what the stranger is before you then sort of say, "Okay, how can we dovetail? How can we do something in this?" Yeah. Where am I going? Have I got a few more to go? Or it? yeah, I think
1: I think you might have done five.
0: Oh, all right, all right, let me go for two more. All there. right. All right. Uh, second last one is what I call mentoring. Uh, now, mentoring we, uh, we associate, let's say, with uh, a singing teacher mm-hmm. who has their protege uh, student, all right, and they, they let them know some secrets into how to do this really well. Or let's say a, uh, a, a tradesperson we'll just have an apprentice as a protege to, to let them know the ropes of how things get done. Well, all of that comes from ancient Greece. You see, the ancient Greek god Athena came down to uh, earth to help Odysseus's son get through kind of things that he was going through at that time. So what is mentoring love? It's, it's guiding each other. Mm-hmm. It's knowing that uh, one of you has some expertise that the other person doesn't have and vice versa. So, often, one person in the couple is good at finances and the other person doesn't want to know about it, okay? Well, you let the person who's good at it not only do it, but also guide the other person into how to do it, how to invest for the future. Or, in some couples, there's one person who really knows how to handle other people, who takes care of the social calendar, who uh, will... Um, just meet with friends or just know how to handle those problem family members, all right? (laughs) So they can then guide the other person as to what to say, how to do things, all right? And because we live in a society that is what I call Mm. hyper-individualistic, kind of I want to do what I want to do, um, a lot of people feel uncomfortable to sort of be led by their partner. But gosh, I don't know about you, but my partner is better than me at so many things. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So I'll let her take the lead, you know. But there are things that I'm better at. So I'll take the lead in that.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's the beauty of a relationship. We get to share our strengths. And as a unit, we're like that much more powerful, you know, ready to take on the world. And that, that brings up the question for me when it comes to... Guiding each other, mentoring each other. Um, the the fine line between, you know, kind of coaching your partner in some aspect where you feel like you yeah. know something about it.
0: Yeah. When
1: it's maybe unsolicited, right? Yeah. Versus yeah. when they're open to it and ready to receive it. Um, I know it's something that we've navigated and found like a sweet spot. And I hear this question from other people. So how do you... So just navigating that, that relationship of helping, fixing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because the problem can be sort of like, <clears throat> you don't know what you're doing. I'll take over. All right. I'll take, I'll handle this one. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and that then becomes a control issue. And uh, one of the thing in uh, two person relationships is there's always a power struggle. All right. Because you both want to be people, but you want to contend, you want to be there together. And that means a bit of tension. If somebody is dominating, all right, and the other person is being submissive, then there's a power imbalance. And you you, you actually want there to be power from both people.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So uh, a lot has to do with intention. Uh, so if you're there to guide somebody to sort of say, look, do you mind if I help you out with that? Because I kind of know about that. <clears throat> people can feel the intention. And if the intention is, I just want things to go better. Well, that's fine. But if the intention is to control, I want to be in the limelight. I'm the one who's taking over. You follow what I do. Mm. People will feel that too. Okay, and that and that becomes a bit of a problem. Makes sense. Yeah, right. yeah.
1: <laughs> and we have uh, one more love type. I think. Left. One more to go.
0: Okay, this is actually a very important one, and this is an, uh, a love type that grows with all the other love types, and it's agape or a divine love, uh, a love that uh, the God of uh, Socrates had for all of us, okay? And it's an unconditional love. It's a giving love. And particularly in the work that I do as a, a psychiatrist, this becomes very, very important because you are actually there to help somebody else out. Now, the difference, of course, is that I get paid for my services, okay? Mm. Whereas in a love partnership, people do not get paid. But there are times when you'll feel, you know what, I've got to be the giving one, all right? And sometimes that means just being strong when another person is being an emotional jerk, all right? Or being strong when somebody else is going through, let's say, a physical illness, okay? If, if uh, And oh my gosh, I've just heard some wonderful stories of couples where, you know, when the going gets really tough and the other person just says, hey, I'm here with you, Mm -hmm. and they go through every test, they go to all the treatments, they listen to all the fears, they're up during the nights of vomiting, okay? And uh, so I'm I'm actually talking about a cancer scenario at the moment, Mm -hmm. okay? And they say, no matter what happens, I'm here with you, all right? That is agape love, when people go the extra mile to say, well, of course, I'm going to be here with you, right? Right. Uh, and yeah, that's that's really important.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I feel like that's really such a beautiful foundational love for our partnerships, our love relationships, is this, like, no matter what, I'm here. Like, we're doing this together. I got you. You know, this yeah. foundation that can carry through even in moments of tension, even through arguments, that yes. that underlying unconditional love. It's, it's kind of like the ocean, right? The, this big ocean yeah, of right. love. And then the conflict is just the waves on the surface that'll settle down. And
0: yeah, oh, that's a beautiful image. A beautiful image. Beautiful image. But the thing is that when we enter into a relationship, Okay. Uh, We have these romanticized ideas of, yes, I'll be there for you, you know, sort of uh, till death doeth part, all stuff like that. Then you get into the relationship and then things happen and you go, oh, did I sign up for this too? Okay. This is a bit more difficult than I thought. (laughs) All right. And that's what puts love to the test. And you know what? Most people actually pass that test because we all as humans have an amazing capacity to love. In fact, if we actually knew what was going on, um, most of us cannot actually express how much we love the person that we're with. Mm -hmm. In fact, it makes us sad that sometimes we can't let them know how much we actually love them. Yeah. Right? Or we get sad because something goes wrong okay you you say the wrong thing or you just do the wrong thing and that's not what i meant what i meant is love you know
1: yeah yeah i know that feeling of like words literally it sounds cliche like words can't express how much i love you but it's true no, it's, it's right. like words are such a limited vehicle to express such a big boundless feeling right
0: <laughs> oh that's well that's right it's a big boundless feeling and words aren't enough and i suppose that's one of the reasons that i I wrote this book because we have this one word love that encompasses so many things. And at least by going to the ancient Greeks, I found seven words for the one thing. So at least we can talk about some of the nuances in this big boundless thing that you talked about. That's love. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because it is big, it is boundless and it's hard to put into words, you know? So
1: how does, when we, when we distinguish between all of these different love types and we, get more familiar with the characteristics of each and how they show up in our own life how does this help us in our both our relationship and in each of these types of love
0: okay okay so there are two things here Uh, firstly um when we're dealing with a whole lot of other people all right uh it's actually easy for these love types to get mixed okay Mm. so uh all right, let's say in the clubbing scene at the moment, there are, there are a lot of people who sort of go out, they want to have a good time because they like sex, mm-hmm. all right? So they find somebody else who likes sex, but that other person is actually looking for a long-term relationship, and what they want is a long-term relationship and sex to be part of it, all right? right. So we've got two people looking for two different types of love. One person is looking for an eros relationship and the other person is expressing their epithumia that they like sex they just want to have a good time so to have the different words sort of helps uh, those horrible conversations you know when people have got themselves in a situation that they really don't want to be in and i suppose
1: it can help us to distinguish ahead of time What do I really want to, when I have the language for each now, I can know for myself what I want get clear on it.
0: That's right. That's right. So before you go out on a Saturday night, you can say, okay, what am I after? Mm -hmm. All right. And and the thing is that because um, love involves a whole lot of feelings, all right, and we're not always in control of our feelings, we can sometimes fool ourselves, all right? sort of think well i'm not after anything tonight you know but you know uh 11 o'clock at night after three drinks you know your 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 body sends uh, tends to say different things and so you've got to know that about your body you've got to know the science behind uh what these um hormones do to us so that at 11 o'clock at night after three drinks you can go okay I've got to keep some control here, depending on what you want, because Mm -hmm. you can always do what you want, but you've got to understand what you want, you know.
1: Makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and same thing in, uh, for a lot of people, this idea of friends with benefits, okay, uh, is a convenient relationship for a lot of people. But it also leads to a lot of emotional heartache, because uh, for some people, it is a friendship, We are friends first. We are here as friends and uh, we enjoy sex as part of our friendship. But hey, when college finishes, it's going to be goodbye, you know. Whereas for somebody else, it was sort of like, well, it may have started off as a friendship, but you know what? I've really grown to like you. In fact, I've grown to love you. In fact, I was hoping we were going to be in a long-term relationship here. And so you've got the intersection of two different love types. OK, and because the feelings are strong, it means the hurt can be strong sometimes as well.
1: Right.
0: And yes. and, and also there, there are just all situations of when you have mentors or when you have friendships or when you meet strangers. It's just good to know at what level of love and what type of love you're, you're experiencing and working on.
1: It reminds me of being a connoisseur, right? You can like become a love connoisseur, just like a wine connoisseur. I am not a wine connoisseur. I don't even drink, but before, you know, I've never liked wine because I've never taken the time to appreciate the different types and to know about it. But for somebody who's taken that time and really knows a lot about this type of wine, that type of wine, they can really distinguish a good wine from a bad wine um, I think we can become connoisseurs of love.
0: We oh, that's can a beautiful appreciate idea. Appreciate more. Beautiful. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And, and what this vocabulary does is allow you to appreciate the people around you. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, a lot of people have uh, problems. Let's say with adult siblings, right? Mm-hmm. You, you may have a brother or a sister, and you just don't get on, or you've got different political beliefs, or or whatever these days, and you go, oh but they're my sister or they're my brother. Well, of course, you've got the store gay love because you belong to the same family, and that's actually strong. Mm -hmm. And you can actually love somebody that you disagree with really strongly. And, you know, when it comes down to it, it's sort of like, hey, you're my sister. I love you as a sister. Whatever you're into is fine with me, you know. But if we talk about it, we'll argue, all right? Yeah, (laughs) It's good to know those sort of things. And so I suppose it's being a connoisseur of the storge relationship, making sure you're getting the best from your family relationships, knowing that you are um, sharing one type of love with them, but with your friend, okay, you share a different love. And then with your love partner, you share a different love. And with your children, you share a different love. And with people that you meet for the first time, you can still love them, but you've got to go through these rituals so that it just feels a lot safer before you get to know each other deeper. And people are always feeling each other out Mm -hmm. to see how deep is this going to go.
1: Right. (laughs) Yeah, I think also knowing the having words for these seven types of love and understanding these seven types of love can help to bring to your awareness if there's any areas where you're lacking love or where you haven't put in the time and energy to cultivate one type of love versus another.
0: Oh yeah, and and this brings us back to couples, all right, because uh, as you know, being in a couple relationship, it's a very complex, very all-embracing, it's a very big relationship, it's a big part of your life, okay, and it has all these aspects, and uh, what we look for there is to sort of say, okay, uh, like we, there, there are some couples that don't know how to do the respect thing. Do not know how to allow the other person to be different, uh, to have some interests that they just want to do alone, all right? And to talk about that and to share that happily, rather than thinking, "Oh, I'm missing out on this person here." Okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, or there are um, there are a lot of couples that um, feel, "Oh, the sex isn't happening. We're going through a bad patch sexually, so our relationship is over." Whereas. No, sex is not the only part of the relationship. It's the Eros part. But you can have a friendship that keeps blossoming even if there's nothing happening in the bedroom. And people can go for years and have a good relationship even if there's nothing going on in the bedroom, Mm. right? Now, it it depends on your wants and your needs. And uh, a lot of people think their relationship is over if the sexual part of uh, their relationship isn't happening. But strangely, if they're not great friends, they don't sort of think, oh, our relationship is, is over because we're not great friends. Yet that's another opportunity. You know, maybe I can get to know you as a friend more, okay, which means sharing affections, sharing emotions objectively, sort of just have that idea of sitting down with a cup of tea or coffee or wine and just sharing what happened last night without any judgment just to Mm -hmm. share because that's what friends do they just share something and it's not going to affect the relationship whereas in an eros relationship it's sort of like you felt what oh oh, i don't like that and you get these big relax uh, reactions straight away whereas friends are not that reactive they're more accepting and that's actually a healthy part of a couple relationship as well that people could work on if they choose to
1: yeah i think that's one of the biggest levers in a in a couple relationship is working on being able to truly express what we're feeling and to listen and to have those deeper conversations on a regular basis and really understand oh, yeah. the inner workings of our partner and ourselves right because yeah. we have to understand yeah. our own inner workings and our own feelings before we can start to understand those of our partners too <laughs>
0: Oh, and sometimes we don't. Yeah. Sometimes we don't understand ourselves. So, so you have an argument. It's actually a good idea to go to your partner the next day and go. You know what? I just want to let you know what I was really feeling yesterday. Mm-hmm. It was actually about this. I thought it was this, but it, but it was this, because we make these discoveries in ourselves as we interact with our partners.
1: Yeah, and
0: uh, and it's good to share that. That becomes then a friendship thing to do. To to share what you've actually discovered about yourself.
1: <laughs> yeah. I love to call it like including your partner in your process. It's oh, like, lovely. you know, you, you're working through something yourself. You don't need to do that all by yourself, just in your head and then come to your partner. Like, okay, I got it all figured out now. Yeah, that's <laughs> but right. instead you can just come to them with what you have. Hey, this is what's going on with me right now. I don't know exactly what this is about. This is what I'm thinking right now. This is what I'm feeling. Who knows? Yep. It's kind of a mess,
0: but <laughs> hey, <laughs> here I am. <laughs> <laughs> <That's right>. Yeah, <laughs> I'll just show up, and we'll see what happens. Exactly,
1: yeah, and if we can both do that and accept each other showing up that way, then that's yes. a beautiful thing.
0: Yes, and and I think that's that's part of that friendship love, the filial love mm. is acceptance. Yeah, right. It's it's hard to imagine sitting down with a school friend, and for them to say something which means you know what I'm really hurt at that. Right. It's 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 always more. There's that space for acceptance. All right. Well, let's talk about that. Okay. whereas because the feelings are much stronger in a love partnership, uh, sometimes you can say things and the other person will say, well, I'm just really hurt by that. You know, whereas if you're operating at that point as friendship love, there's just a bit more room for that because there's a feeling that it's being shared.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) So I'm curious how self-love comes into all of this mix of love
0: ah ah self love all right so i suppose the, the last chapter of the book is on self love and uh in the book i i left self love for last for a very good reason okay because as you know cassidy we live in a society that's really emphasizing how important it is to get your own needs met first mm. okay and that's fine, but the trouble is that if we do that and everybody else gets second place, you may get your own needs met, but you may find yourself really lonely, all right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, and yet there is a there is a place for self-love. Okay, I'm going to start scientifically first, all right? Awesome. So, so um, strangely enough, the human life cycle actually teaches us to, become more and more selfless as we grow up, okay? So I'll tell you what I mean by that. We all start off as babies, and there's there's nothing more selfish than a baby who is there to have their needs met and will have at least one, usually two people doting on it, fulfilling its needs, right? right? <laughs> First shock is is when a sibling comes along. What? I've got to share my parents with somebody? Who the hell are you, you yeah. know? And, and that makes for a lot of tension in a family to begin with. But it gets worse. This, uh, we, we end up going to school. What? There are other people my age in this world. I've got to share this whole world with people just like me. That becomes really difficult. And then that becomes the focus of our lives while we grow through those years of primary and then junior high school. Now, when you get to senior high and you start dating, that's the point where you've got to think, you know what? Maybe somebody else's needs are actually equal to mine. They're just as important as I am. Mm -hmm. And as you know, there are a lot of people that don't make that transition. They just try to go out and use other people, and that's not a good idea. And then if you get to the stage where you go, okay, I found somebody that I'm going to call my equal and I'm going to get together with them, then you've actually got to live out them being at least as important as you are. There are going to be some times when you're going to feel grumpy and you're going to have to do something that the other person wants for the sake of the relationship. But it gets worse, all right? (laughs) At some stage, people have children, all right? And um, anybody who's been a mother or a father knows you can't leave a baby crying while you just watch a few more series online okay, you've actually got to be there for somebody else. In fact, they will wake you during your precious sleep to get <laughs> their needs met. So all of a sudden, <clears throat> you've got another human being that's actually more important than you are, okay? And then if you become a grandparent, you may find yourself taking care of uh, children that aren't even yours, okay? Okay, so why did I go through all of this? This this is just a natural human life cycle. I went through all of that because as we grow up, there are lessons for us to become less and less selfish. Okay. And it's not always easy, Mm -hmm. right? So when it comes to where is self love, self love, if you put yourself in the center of your world, all right, you're going to lose because you're going to lose the relationship with other people. However, if you are able to build up a love for other people where you can actually say, I have compassion for other people, I care about other people in this world, and yet scientifically I talk about how uh, our brain is actually wired to navigate other people and for uh, compassion and empathy. If you can have that for other people and then go, you know what, I deserve that love for myself as Mm -hmm. well, okay? Yeah. Uh, Because the the truth is it's actually hard to love yourself because let's say you, Cassidy, uh, you actually know the thoughts going through your head, right? And you (laughs) go, you know what, that wasn't terribly nice, but I won't tell anybody about that. But, (laughs) But you know about all those things that go on. Like I know about all those things that go on in my head. And you go, how am I supposed to like this person that's got all these selfish thoughts and desires? Well, if you can build a compassionate love for all of humankind, and this brings us back to this unconditional love of agape, you know, which is not easy to do. We we work on it little by little, day by day. Then you come across this idea: well, I can love myself with that same love. And it becomes a very peaceful very broad love, just like that ocean that you talked about, okay? And sometimes the ocean's still and calm, and you feel part of something bigger than yourself. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, becomes self-love.
1: Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that distinction. And to me, what it sounds like is a distinction between self-love and maybe self-importance.
0: Yeah, Yeah. And and the word that we psychiatrists use for self-importance is narcissism. Right. Okay. Yeah. And we have a disorder which is called narcissistic personality disorder. And and also over these last decades, the incidence of narcissistic personality disorder is rising. Okay. Why is that? It's not in our genes because our genes haven't changed appreciably in about 60,000 years now. It's got to do with the way that we live.
1: Mm-hmm. We
0: live in a society because it is consumer-based, nothing wrong with that, but it has a few side effects. Yeah. It encourages us to take care of ourselves first because if we take care of ourselves first, we will part with the money for a better car or the meal that we're looking for or the entertainment that we want. Okay, So our society doesn't encourage us to have compassionate self-love it encourages narcissistic self-love.
1: Right. Yep. Yeah, makes sense. Um, and I, I've heard, you know, you hear often, you need to learn to love yourself before you can love someone else. And I love everything you just said, because that always bothered me, that you need to learn, learn to love yourself before you can love somebody else. Yeah. Every time I hear that, I think, well, why not both? You know, and how, just like you're saying, loving somebody else can teach me how to love myself.
0: Yes. And we can do this together. Oh, well, Cassidy, I would even say that it's impossible to love yourself first before you love somebody else because Mm. you haven't discovered yourself. It takes a lifetime to discover yourself. And look, as a psychiatrist, one of the secrets is that most of us actually have a low self-esteem, right? Most of us don't feel too good about ourselves. All right. And it's only when you see, my gosh, I've got a capacity to love somebody else. All right. I did something good for somebody else there. Oh, my gosh. I might be lovable. They love me. Maybe I am lovable. So you start loving yourself more and more through other relationships. Okay.
1: Yeah, Yeah, Um, that makes sense. It feels so good to demonstrate your love for other people.
0: It it does. And, and and you find that you've got a capacity to do it and you start to love that in yourself. Uh, and quite frankly, Cassidy, I, I, I think that if we had to wait until we loved ourselves before we share ourselves with other people, it's one of those things that sounds right and we kind of wish is right. Yeah. But I don't believe it is. No, yeah. <laughs> I believe we begin to love ourselves through loving other people.
1: That sounds to me like... A better framework for just a more loving, harmonious world.
0: Well, all right, you, you've touched upon something beautiful here because uh, we are living in a world that's fragmenting. All right, mm. and and that's a pity. And uh, well, I can't prove this, but one of the things I'd like to say is one of the reasons that we're fragmenting is because um, we're looking to our own needs first okay mm,
1: yeah
0: uh and we start walking around in a sea of strangers rather than a small town of familiar faces so we're actually getting to the stage where we're not caring about the strangers out there and we need to because we're either going to survive together or we're going to fry together in this whole world you right know? yeah uh and but self-compassion is as you said a bit of a formula for a more peaceful world because if we had that compassion for each and every person that we encounter, all right, it doesn't mean you've got to be a great friend to them. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean you've got to agree with their lifestyle. It doesn't mean that you've got to share time with them. You just need to wish them well and hope that things go well for them and hope that they wish the same for you.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and recognizing that when somebody pushes our buttons, it's only because – we have those same qualities within us so you know we can't we can't put, go throwing too much blame around and when we when we can see that and then be compassionate with other people then it helps us to then be compassionate about those things within ourselves too i imagine
0: yeah because we're all strangely the same mm-hmm. no no not the same but 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 alike yeah. all right uh if if i can get hurt because of what somebody else says that means they can get hurt by something that I say, all right? Uh, And so in every situation, to try to work out what somebody else is feeling, we've just got to put ourselves in the same situation. How would I feel in that situation, all right? And sometimes we'll understand, sometimes we won't. But uh, if we started to think that way, then we would be just a bit more gentle with each other, you know? Um, Yeah. (laughs) Because we all want to get on in this world. We actually do,
1: Yeah. yeah amazing um so you touched briefly before on arguments and i wanted to come back to this because uh you know arguing or at least friction i like i like yeah. the word friction because i think argument has a lot of other baggage with it ideas of what yeah. what arguments are so i like yeah. the word friction because that's to me what it kind of feels like okay um, okay so Friction in a relationship. Yes. Um, Where, what is its place? And what is the difference between like healthy argument and unhealthy argument? And how do we navigate these things?
0: Okay. Okay.
1: (laughs) That's a big question. I understand.
0: Uh, (laughs) So the first thing that I thought was um, every argument or every piece of friction right um is healthy now i I've, I've, I've got to backtrack a little bit when i say that because uh we're afraid of arguments because we know that they lead to strong emotions and that strong emotions can lead to physical violence okay and so right off the bat i've got to say that's not arguing
1: mm-hmm. okay
0: once once you're starting to get physical with somebody, that means you are violating their rights. You are starting to destroy them as a unique being, okay? And that's that's pathological. So that's, that's just always a problem, all mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Whereas in an argument, there is always restraint, right? As loudly as somebody wants to talk, they will stop themselves from taking you out of the equation. They just want to get their piece said okay and ideally they will leave room for you to say your piece okay now I've got this analogy about um the way some people argue uh some people are either chimps or turtles all right okay Okay. now I'll explain what I mean by that all right I'm a chimp all right so I tend to let it out say it express it okay my 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 voice will get a bit louder okay pound your chest yeah, pound, pound my chest. Okay. In an argument, that means that I, I'm the sort of person who will raise their voice, okay? Mm-hmm. In a loving situation, I'm the sort of person that will put my arms around somebody and, and reach out to them, okay? So that's the advantage of a chimp, right? A turtle, A turtle doesn't like the friction, all right? A turtle will sort of shy away and sort of maybe go into the other room or go into their shell or not say anything in an argument but a turtle is also much more gentle when it comes to a uh, to a love situation as well. They will they will have a peaceful love expression. So a turtle is somebody who is a bit more reserved, mm-hmm. and a chimp is somebody who's a bit more intrusive. Okay. Now there are a lot of movies, and what comes to mind is War of the Roses. Okay, uh, where we like to see two chimps arguing, okay, because in this hyper-individual society, if everybody expresses themselves, it makes for good movie-making, all right? But most arguments are not like that, you know, sort of pans being thrown across the room, things being said, sort of uh, tables thumped with fists and things like that. It's actually not a good way to have an argument, okay, because it's starting to move towards uh, physicality, okay? When two turtles have an argument they might sort of timidly start to talk to each other okay i've got to talk to you about something talk do you really want to talk yeah i'm afraid we're just gonna to have to talk this out oh i'm not sure if i'm ready for this okay <laughs> and but but they will have a talk yeah all right difficult situation is a turtle and a chimp which is most situations one person is just bigger than the other person, and the other person doesn't quite feel that they get to say what they want, okay? So the, the idea in that situation is the person who's a chimp, and that's yours truly here, me, has got to be just a little less chimpy, all right? Just sort of just hold it back a little bit, will you? Just sort of calm down. Give the turtle a chance to come out of their shell just a little bit, okay? And the person who's a bit more of a turtle, their job is, you know what, just come out of your shell a little more. Just say it a little more, okay? Just show a little more emotion behind what you're saying, okay? So that it's just matched a little bit. And this is difficult to do. And um, in our relationship, we still fail, okay? But the thing is, I I know some people that are more chimpy than I am. (laughs) So uh, if, if I was in a relationship with them, I'd be the turtle, which is hard to believe looking at me but you know it's it's just that sort of a dynamic all right so what's healthy arguing healthy arguing is where number one you do have an argument right? where there is a respect there's a restraint there's only so far that i will go and you stay in relationship okay mm. and you actually mix words and emotion right? Uh, and what happens is the emotion shows that you care. This is important. This is why I'm arguing, all right, because I feel strongly about you and about this situation. Whereas if you did the cool university professor sort of thing of intellectualizing all the time, the other person get the feeling, what, don't you care about me? Don't you care about this situation? Oh, no, I'm just logically going through this and that, you know, and. And that doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel good. But having said all of that, there's no right or wrong way to argue. You will find your own arguing language or your way of handling friction, as as you say. And and the thing is that you want the power balance to be equal, all right? Uh, There might be a lot of power there. There may be a lot of butting of heads, but you want it to be equal. You don't want somebody pounding the other person down. So what I tell people is, if you're finding yourself getting resentful against your partner, then you're not standing up for yourself enough. Mm-hmm. Then you've got to have one of those conversations that says, hey, I'm feeling resentful, okay? I don't feel that I've got enough power in this, that, in this relationship. That's why I'm feeling resentful. And the other person, if they care about you, which they do, will want to do something about that. I, I don't believe anybody really wants to hurt somebody else, mm-hmm. okay? What tends to happen after decades is a lot of hurt builds up, and people don't know how to work their way through all of those problems. Okay. And the other thing in an argument, if you do tend to have emotive heated arguments, it's good to use humor and, um, and passion okay so if, if you're in the heat of an argument you're saying that's another thing that's another thing i got to tell you right now i love you to the moon and back and that's not going to change all right <laughs> yeah so if you say something like that people go oh good you know Or oh, and that's another thing if you ever do that again if you ever do that again that's fine by me we'll just have to argue about it again <laughs> yeah. all right but it's things like that you know uh or you know oh hold on is this going to be a long argument? Should I get out a cup of tea at the moment or are we going to have this over in a few minutes? All right. (laughs) Just little comments like that lets the other person know that you're actually there as a person. Mm -hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. But I got to say, Cassidy, those things are really hard to do. All right. Yeah. Um,
1: Yeah. And it sounds like, you know, kind of being on the same team, even through your arguments, you know, where you're... Yes, we're arguing about something and bringing in that humor, that connection, even in the midst of this argument, we can remember our love and we can remember that we're on the same team. Um, and I like that you said there's no, no right way to argue, no wrong way to argue. It's like kind of getting curious together as a team. Hmm how did that argument go? Like, how how could we do that differently next time? And
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll I'll have some couples that say to me, we never argue. Okay. Which tells me that they argue in a different way. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so a lot of people, I mean, it it doesn't feel good being out of harmony with somebody. This this is the word that that I use in my relationship, you know, uh, uh, and Caroline does too. I hate it when I'm out of Mm -hmm. harmony with you. All right. And so, um, and, and, and that, that's a musical sort of term, you know. Uh, so sometimes an argument can feel like that when you want it to feel Difficult. like this. That's right, yeah. okay. That's <laughs> right. You go, huh. and that, That's what you want to get back to. But, but for yeah. some people they will not talk to each other for sometimes hours and for some people unfortunately days, okay. Well, that's nothing more than a silent argument, Right. right, because the feelings underneath are the same. They're just handling it differently. Uh, and I would encourage people who do that to talk just a little bit more, okay, uh, because the danger is when you're not in relationship, okay. So if not talking goes on for too long, then you start to think, okay, where is this relationship? And ideally an argument never gets down to the relationship itself,
1: right. okay. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, you, you want to make sure that the relationship is secure enough so that no matter the outcome of this argument, you know, we're still together,
1: mm-hmm. all
0: right? Um, so, yeah, arguments can be heated and intense or they can be two people that aren't looking at each other, talking to each other for a long time. And and actually, they're the people that are at more of a risk of losing their relationship because when you argue, you're in relationship, yeah. right? Yeah
1: yeah it that's you're good, great. You're in relationship <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah that's great yeah we've um our our relation or our argument style we we used to say we don't argue yeah. because we yeah, didn't we have <laughs> yeah, but you know we didn't have big blowouts or even heated discussions, but we've gotten to a place where we're we're finding smaller or like more nuanced distinctions in our feelings yes. that yes. that we recognize and that can come out through open conversation, which yes. on the outside doesn't look like an argument, but it's the same in that we're getting vulnerable. We're getting uncomfortable. Yes. We're bringing light to an uncomfortable feeling that we had instead of letting yes. it go. And yes. we're through conversation and through expressing our feelings where we're we're healing something, we're you know coming to a resolution, yes. so yeah, we're not yelling at each other and whatever, but it's I'm imagining it's the same process
0: well it, it it is, and the thing is that the longer you're together, the closer you're going to be right, and the closer you get, the more you find those little areas, those nuances where you're just different, or oh, I didn't know this about you, well, I actually feel this way, so. A lot of couples get distressed that as their relationship goes on, they argue more, all right? But what they're actually doing is they're finding that they are getting to know each other on such a deep level, and they're so finely in tuned and so sensitive to each other that the the tiniest thing, you know, means disharmony, all right? And this is part of the human condition. The closer we get, the more we're going to hurt each other, but through any arguing style, you just find a way through that so the friction is a lot less and that you're able to accept the other person where they are, how they are, and still be in harmony with them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's a big ask. And, yeah. and, 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 and that's why, okay, so let's say in this COVID time, all right, a lot of uh, relationships have gone bust because they've been thrust into this situation where they're together 24-7 right? They get to find out a whole lot about each other quickly, right? Right. And it's sort of like, oh, 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 oh." do we have the arguing style, the conversational style to be able to work through all of this? Because all of a sudden, there's a lot to work through, you Mm -hmm. know? And the couples that succeed, like this COVID time has brought a lot of couples closer together, uh, because they've been able to do that work of getting to know each other. So less distractions. (laughs) Well, oh, that's right. That's yeah. right. They distract us from our relationship as as uh, as well. And the last thing I want to say about arguing is, no matter what your arguing style, no matter what sort of an argument you you've had, have a debrief a day or two later. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there, there'll always be some sorries and forgiveness to be done. When I said that. That was a bit harsh of me. I didn't mean that. And as a, as a chimp, I've, I've often got to say things like that, you know, whereas a turtle might want to say, you know, when we talked about that, I really needed to tell you this, mm-hmm. but, but I just couldn't at the time. OK, but I can see that's a, a really important point, you know, uh, and, and there'll be other times that, because we all get insights after an argument mm-hmm. as to what was really going on. And to come back a few days later and, yeah, as I said, debrief the whole thing, Uh, we'll just let it sit a whole lot better.
1: Exactly. I love that. And I like to say, never waste a good argument. (laughs) If you're not going to come back and learn something from it and, like, you know, do that debrief, then you're wasting a good argument.
0: That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah, because (laughs) there's a lot of energy and time that goes into it. So you may as well get something out of it. Yeah. So there's one
1: more kind of topic I want to get into that's kind of related. You talked about as we get to know somebody, as we get closer and closer, we start to kind of find these nuanced ways um, that we rub up against each other. And I'm curious how our childhood programming slash lifelong programming, our beliefs, our perceptions, all of these things come into play. I've oh, just, wow. yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of a big topic, but I guess for some more context, like I just notice as the closer you get in relationship, the deeper you go, the more no. you start to, the more you have the opportunity to look at the more subtle layers of your own programming and yeah. unravel them so yeah. what's that process like what's that all about okay
0: so cassidy I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because this is something that i'm working on a lot at the moment um and like you i find in my relationship okay that we're 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 coming across these things more and more but as a psychiatrist and i do a lot of psychotherapy with people where you look to change somebody's personality And one of the tenets of uh, psychotherapy is that your early childhood experiences have a lot to say as to who you are at the moment, okay? Mm -hmm. The question is, can you change that, all right? And uh, the answer is yes, but it's very difficult, all right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I use the analogy of of a body, all right? Uh, your personality is a bit like a body. So people might come to me and sort of say, okay, I've got brown eyes. What can I do to have blue eyes? Okay. Well, we can't quite change that. Okay. Uh, my arm is this long. I want it a lot longer. Well, we can't change that. Okay. But, you know, somebody can say, look, I'm not very fit, Um can I lose a few pounds? Yeah, we can do that. Okay. So just like you can keep your body fit and trim, you can, and you've got to work on it to do that. Uh, yeah. you can Keep your personality fit and trim, but you've got to work on it to do that. You won't change essences, but you will be able to change some of the things that have gone on. All right. So, so back to what you said, because um, the crux of what you said that the more we get to know each other, uh, the more capacity we have to. Hurt each other and to know that we're different. That was articulated by a 19th century philosopher, Arthur Schopenhauer. And the idea is that as humans, we're a bit like porcupines, okay? And our porcupines can get together, they can like each other, but if they get too close, their quills are gonna start hurting each other, all right? So mm-hmm. a bit of us are like that. And in a relationship, you experience that, okay? Now, if you grew up in a street and you married the boy next door, the cultural differences are not going to be too great, okay? So some of the childhood templates that you were talking about, some of that programming, is not going to be too different. But if you marry somebody from a completely different uh, ethnicity, or religious background, okay, you're going to find some of those programmings are really quite different and you're going to have to deal with those, all right? And what I say is that um, couples who uh, have different cultures are like an Olympic uh, diver who's doing a very difficult dive, okay? Uh, it takes a lot more practice, but you're going to get higher points, okay? And you're get closer <laughs> to the gold medal, all right? <laughs> uh, and I say that because it's got to be worth the effort, all right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is. It enriches your life if you can actually do all of that. However, when you're with your partner and you sort of see they're really acting the way that their parents would have acted in this mm-hmm. particular situation and I'm acting the way that I was programmed to act, how are we going to change that, right? And so sometimes I say it's really quite easy what you do is you get your parents together with her parents and you get them to argue, all right? <laughs> like, take notes. <laughs> yeah, that's right, like just, just take notes and, and bypass <laughs> the step, okay? Um, but, but, of course, we, we sort of find um, that what happens is you will find things in yourself that you go, damn it, I wish that wasn't in me, all right? I wish I didn't run to this program all right, and we're talking about subconscious programs for want of a better word, mm-hmm. a beautiful thing that your partner can do is to say, I see you don't like that. What can I do to help you? How can we be a team against that program? Okay? Yeah. And this is something that Caroline and I do because she has programs that <clears throat> she doesn't like and I don't like, and I have programs that I don't like and she doesn't like. So we actually, uh, our word for it is actually templates, all right? Mm -hmm. Templates. Yeah, yeah, so we actually say there's that childhood template that you've got. Okay, oh, damn it, it is. That's a childhood template. What are we going to do about it, okay? And earlier on you talked about the importance of being on the same team, all right? And so it's not just you battling against something, it's the two of you battling against something. Yeah. And. Little by little, you can chip away at it. And even just knowing about it makes it a little bit more easy to cope with, you know?
1: Yeah, I love that. Yeah, and that's the same kind of approach we use too, is like identifying, okay, that's your your programming or your template, yep. and like we're both noticing it, let's yep. call it what it is, identify it, yep. so we can you know, distance ourselves from it just a little bit more. And each time you do that, you become less and less associated with it, choose a better, choose a better pattern, choose a better behavior. And um, the interesting thing I heard once from, I think it was Dr. Bruce Lipton. Yeah, He was talking about how we receive all this programming, of course, from young age before we really have all the uh, filters, the conscious filters to decide what we really want to take yeah. in and what we don't. And about how when our programming comes out or our templates come out, it's the unconscious programming, right? Yeah. And by definition, it's coming out when we're not conscious of it. It's in those moments that we're not present, yes. that that programming comes out. So that's why I often just even noticing it and naming it.
0: It, yes. sometimes it just dissolves right there right uh, well uh the the awareness makes you go aha all right and uh there's a certain form of uh, psychotherapy that i do that is basically about that okay so you, you talk and then something comes up and the idea is that what used to be unconscious has now become conscious and once it's conscious you can do something about it and this actually brings us back to mentoring love because um Couples can actually be a little bit like psychotherapists for each other because with a, with a love partner, you are always working unconsciously because you are tied to that person in love, all right, which means that it's your limbic system, the part of the brain with emotions that's attached to the other person. And the other person sort of goes, oh, there's that childhood template of yours. So, so they're working in the conscious mind. And they go, really? Is is it? That... Oh, my gosh, it is, all right? So mm-hmm. when two people do this for each other, they actually become more rounded individuals as well as a great team. And, and, and that's why I keep saying that a relationship is your greatest asset because you can do so much in life with a partner that you can't by yourself. And um, one of my bugbears is I... I want society to value it more, you know, to value what people have. Uh, Because, yeah, there'll be problems, but the thing is that you can work through those problems. The relationship does not have to end when it gets tough because, yeah, there'll be tough, there'll be tough patches, you know.
1: Amazing. I love where this ended up because that's really like, that's my whole philosophy too, you know, that the, intimate relationship can be this beautiful container for each of our personal growth and healing and transformation, as long as we decide that that's what it's going to be. And we're willing to be on the same team and, you know, keep going in the face of challenges. So I love that that's where we came around to.
0: Well, well, well yeah, yeah. And uh, the good news is science is on our side. This is what the brain wants. You know, it, it actually works better when it's in relationship. Okay, and you will start to have these experiences and have these aha moments. And life does become bigger and more beautiful as a result.
1: Amazing. All right. Well, this has been a fantastic talk. Christian Dr. Heim I uh, really cool. appreciate <laughs> you sharing all this um so much so much interesting knowledge coming together through your work in psychiatry yeah. and then your personal experience in relationship and um yeah I hope people will connect with you I actually have one more question though that I like to ask everybody yeah. which is <clears throat> if there is one habit that we can install to help us have a thriving relationship? What do you think that would be?
0: Okay. Now, Cassidy, I'm going to have to disappoint you here because as a psychiatrist, the the answer to that is whatever your relationship needs, right? Mm, Yeah. However, I I, I will give one habit. No, 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 I'm going going to cheat and give two, all right? Deal. Okay, (laughs) thank you. you. So the one habit uh, has to do with what we've been talking about a lot today okay we've been talking about arguing all right uh and we've been talking about trying to work through things one really good habit is to have a weekly listening session of about an hour where you sit down with your favorite drink or whatever and you just stare each other in the face and you say what's going right what's going wrong what do i need to know and then you just listen and you go "Aha." Uh-huh. And The other person talks, and you just listen, because listening is one of the most beautiful things that you can do for another person. It's it's in my book as one of the ways of showing deep love to just listen to what the other person has to say. So that, that to be would be the number one tip, particularly for people who are young professionals, career minded, don't have much time. You've you've got to you've got to give that to each other. But I do want to put in another one. All right. Yeah. And the second one is just a very practical day-to-day one. Uh, whenever you get up, go to sleep, leave the house or return, find your love partner, give them a kiss, a hug, uh, some sort of a shoulder rub or just something to acknowledge, hey, I'm back and I belong to you, all right? Mm. Just something small, a look in the eyes, um, don't go straight to the cell phone. Don't go straight to the messages. Don't go straight to the fridge for some food. Find your partner and just say, I'm here with you.
1: I love that. Those micro moments are what yeah. makes
0: relationships so sweet. Yeah, they do. They do. And they're just a little reminder to our brains yep, this is the person I'm going through life with, you know. Beautiful. And we I turn, love it. We can take it for granted. But in today's yeah. society, where we're all really busy, we've got to just put in that little bit of effort.
1: Yeah, definitely. All right, Dr. Haim, where can people find you if they want to hear more from you?
0: Oh, that's a good question. I've got a website, uh, Dr. Christian Heim, uh, and that has everything. We're on Instagram. We're on YouTube. Basically, if you type in the uh, the words "Dr. Christian Heim" with the, just the "Dr." uh, you'll, you'll come across us. Uh, we also do some stuff on LinkedIn and, um, at the moment it's about the book. Uh, yeah, definitely. And the book is there because love is a bit of a cliche word, word, but you know what, in our society, we could understand it more so we could show it more.
1: Beautiful. Well, I'll link all of those things in the show notes. So it's easy for people to find, including the book link. I'm definitely going to read it, and I hope some of our listeners will read it as well.
0: Yeah, or you can it's, listen to it. Caroline's got a lovely oh, voice. Oh, great. So she <laughs> she does things. have
1: a great voice. Yeah, she yeah. does. Yeah, she she's does. an actress, right?
0: Yeah, she is. Uh, she's at a university uh, uh, now, but yeah, um, her voice is just impeccable, and she's the love of my life. So everybody should get a chance to, uh, to listen to her, the way she speaks. But,
1: <laughs> lovely. <clears throat> All right. Well, thank you so much.
0: And Cassidy, thank you so much for having me on your show. I really enjoyed this. Uh, And it's really heartening for me to see somebody putting effort into relationships, not only their own relationships, but creating a platform so that other people can enhance their relationships because the world is always better when you're going through life with somebody.
1: Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating and a review and share it with the people that you care about because we can all use a little more love in our lives. Until next time.